Hello everyone, welcome to this new podcast Luxury Insight in partnership with fashionnetwork.com. Today we are happy to have Ulrich Gardedu with us, who's CEO of Mark Ross. Ulrich will share with us what it is to manage a 175-year-old brand, which is actually one of the oldest America's luxury brands. So have a nice discovery and good podcast. Good morning, everyone. Um, we're here talking to Ulrich Gard Du, who is a, a true luxury man who's had a very long and uh, distinguished career working for uh, brands such as uh, uh, Burberry, Celine, uh, George Jensen, uh, Temperley, and then Waterford Wedgwood, uh, a brand which is partly from where I'm from, Ireland. I'm Godfrey Deeney, and I'm delighted to welcome you, Milker. Thank you. Um, Let's talk about a little bit about you, how you became a luxury person, your first steps, and a little bit about your career, and then we'll focus on some of the elements. Terrific. So, so thrilled to be here. Um, my luxury career really started, I would say, when I, I grew up in Denmark. And, and my parents had a very articulated and specific style and interest in, in beautiful objects and, and having an elevated quality of life. And I got kind of fascinated by that, specifically also from a professional point of view, when I went to Paris and I was working for the Danish Foreign Ministry at the embassy there. And I, I walked down Avenue Montaigne and, and saw these incredible fashion houses and met some very interesting people who I found had a good balance using part of their right brain and, and their left side brain and making you know, true business happen. Uh, within a creative world. And that's how it started, and, and I was lucky to get in with LVMH and, and be with Celine for seven years. Did you, did you go to a university or a school to study? Uh, I, st I studied business, you uh, gen general business, yeah. And then your first steps was in uh, Celine? Celine with LVMH, based out of Paris, yeah. then um, running the Asia operation based out of Japan, and then oh, wow. uh, ending up in North America. And, and opening the Celine office there. Okay, and uh, what did you do next after that? Then I had a quick stint back in, in Paris for Chiruti. Yeah. Um, and then my, I call her my mentor in my professional career, Rosemary Bravo, yes. who I had met at the time, who was running Saks Fifth Avenue, called me and said that she was moving to London and, and joining Burberry. Um, and, and my initial reaction was, are you, are you out of your mind? <laughs> and, and she said, well, let's, let's discuss this because we're going to do something that Gucci has done, but even, even bigger. And um, that was a great start of, of 10 years with Burberry, which was really the turnaround of classic traditional Renko manufacturer and turning it into a true uh, luxury lifestyle brand. But you sense from the beginning that her... Um her vision had potential after your, your initial reaction. Absolutely, and, and a lot of the things that I'd been living through at Celine, which was just at the time bought by Bernard Arnault, yeah. um, and which was a true turnaround also oh, yeah. from her, the original owner, Madame Celine, yeah. um, there, there were quite a few similarities mm. in where Burberry was and, and what was needed to be done. You've gone back and forth a bit between Europe and America, uh, and... Um, You've ended up now back in the United States, running um, 
maybe the oldest, one of the oldest luxury brands in America. Absolutely, we're turning 175 years old this this year, yeah. 2020, yeah. and um, I can't think of any, and and have been looking up, you know, yeah. trying yeah. to find what other true heritage luxury brands there are out of America, and, and you know, apart from some beautiful jewelry companies like Tiffany, Harry Winston, etc. I can't see any true heritage luxury accessory brand uh, with with so deep American roots as as we have with the age of, of being 175. Tell me a bit about the beginning about Mark Cross, uh, you know, the very early days and, and define a bit its DNA. So the, the company was founded in Boston. Yeah. And it, it really as would at the time happen, it, it was really saddlery and all kind of leather accessories for, for the horses and mm. for transportation. That then at the beginning of last century turned into the, the general transportation where you needed luggage and trunks mm. and to mm. cross the Atlantics mm. and to, to go around in, with the whole automobile era. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into um, more of a, a lifestyle leather-based luxury brand mid, mid of last century. What lessons that you, did you learn at both uh, Celine and Burberry, which you're trying to apply to Marcos? I have kind of developed, let's call it a toolbox, to go in and, and try and assess um, with deep respect of, of the DNA of, of a heritage brand, but then assess what is it that you can use of that DNA uh, and bring it to, to life and to especially relevance of today's consumer. And I think that's the, that's the trick is to understand what is it the consumer out there wants today and what is it that emotionally can connect them with this particular heritage brand that I've been working for. Okay. Dangerous, I think, sometimes is to, to become too storytelling in a museum-like way, but understanding how to do it in, in an aspirational way that, that really attracts okay. the customer out there. The, after, it was a monsieur, Mr. Mark Cross, who uh, launched the brand. And then how did it change hands? It, then the company was, in its early days, sold to uh, Patrick Murphy, who did a fantastic job in, in really putting uh, Mark Cross on the map, not only in the US, but also internationally, with, with a lot of business made out of, especially England also from a, a manufacturing point of view. Yeah. And his son, Gerald mm. uh, Murphy and Sarah Murphy was to inherit the brand. And, um, well, at the beginning of the last century. Sort correct. Of. Yeah. And, and that was, um, as you, you recognize the name, really an, an amazing couple at oh. the time. And I would say they were heading up the lost generation yeah. uh, when they moved to Paris in the beginning of the 20s and was this very intriguing, intellectual, uh, yet with a bohemian, sophisticated lifestyle, um, both artists themselves, but also surrounding themselves with, with the biggest talents of the time, like Picasso, Fitzgerald, Raymond, etc. So, so a very interesting couple and, and a couple that was setting the tone of Americans in Europe, yeah. especially in this case, Paris, and then later Côte d'Azur, where they established themselves. Of course, they were the people that's often said that invented the modern idea of tanning 120 years ago, who uh, been the first Americans who lived on the beach all year round and 
cared about the body beautiful and of course as we discussed they were the uh, the inspiration to F. Scott Fitzgerald's novel uh, Tenders and Night. How do you see though that lifestyle, that DNA, that example fitting with the mock cross of today? I think the, the 20s and the 30s and, and their lifestyle, and you also see it in, in Gatsby to a certain extent, um, was an incredible, inspiring period that a lot of people today, also young people, aspire to. Because people had fun, they were, yeah. they were surrounded by interesting people, there was depth in what people were doing. And then I think the time factor of how they took the time to have pleasure in life was very important, especially in this digital era we are living in. But what we are doing is we are saying, as Gerald and Sarah Murphy were supporting young artists and really dedicated their life to, to that, so are we doing today. So we have started an artist-in-residence program um, where we, uh, in our new flagship store on Madison Avenue, really have made an experiential retail environment which is more like a gallery than, you know, classic uh, luxury shop. We invite in artists that we work with, uh, also young upcoming artists, to uh, allow them to show their work in this beautiful space um, and, and in some cases also work on some limited edition Mark Cross products. Tell me about product development uh, you know, at Mark Cross. What does it include and what have you been developing? So when I joined a little more than a year ago, we were very much uh, focusing on women's accessories. Mm. Um, our vision and our strategic roadmap today say that there's no reason that we can't turn Mark Cross into a a global uh, lifestyle brand mm. with roots, of course, deeply in the American, uh, with our American heritage. So we're launching new product categories. I'm very excited when we in June will launch our first real men's collections. Ah. Uh, Mark Cross originally was more actually a men's accessory brand than a women's. So we are completely reviewing the men's needs of today within accessories with, you know, strong quality um, and a good price ratio, but also with the functionality element that guys with mobile offices need. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we think we have um, a big um, opportunity there. So how will you launch it? We're launching it um, with a couple of designers that we have been working with okay. uh, that so we can announce uh, very shortly. Okay. And they are working in the laboratory at the moment to create some, some really ex exciting uh, products that uh, it will be a very focused collection but it will be a collection that we launch both in leather but also in other materials like jacquard and canvas to make sure that we have a, a commercially stretched pyramid uh, that caters to to many different type of customers. How will you unveil it to the trade in New York or in Europe? We're launching it in New York, uh, but as well um, in, in pop-up statements. Yeah, um, oh, you are. With Selfridges in London. Good. Uh, Lane Crawford, both in, in Hong Kong and in mainland China. Oh, okay. And, and um, Shinshige Boon in Korea. And when will they open in the fall? Yeah, this over the summer. And, and, and you show it to the trade in, in the summer somewhere? in. Uh, we show it during New York Fashion Week as well as Paris okay. Fashion Week. Okay, very good. Uh, men's. Yeah. Yeah, okay, why? Wow. So you talked a bit about your goals for the house. I'm. Uh, uh, pardon my ignorance. Who is the owner of Mark Cross? 
So the brand was acquired by GF Capital, ah, okay. uh, which is an American um, equity fund mm. just two years ago. And um, they have a portfolio of, of different brands. Um, like? GF Capital just acquired last August Mansour Gabriel. Ah, okay. Uh, we have a stake in Oscar de la Renta. So the idea is to have a portfolio of brands and we work very closely together. I'm also an advisor to GF Capital um, and I'm always looking for, for new opportunities. What sort of business is Marcross? I mean, and how many stores or how many sales points were there? So as you may know, it is a no. true revival because no. Marcross was, was literally put to sleep no. uh, back yeah. in the 90s yeah. when Sarah Lee and the coach group acquired uh, the brand mm. and they decided to focus on coach and the mm. development of folks and so at that time i think we had about 23 stores alone in the us which were were closed and um, so this is really um, um a full um, revival of sleeping beauty uh, so the first flagship store we opened was on in november on madison avenue where is it on Madison? It's on sixty-first and, and between sixty-first and sixtieth. Oh, the Gold Coast of international retailing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you you put down a bit of money to get in there, yeah. Well, we we are happy to be there. We think the the clientele uh, in that part of Madison today yeah. is is really very strong, not only domestically but also internationally. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's the right footprint for a statement for you to make. The idea is eventually you'd slowly but surely roll out flagships, is that ultimately? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, my point of view, though, is we don't necessarily need to sign up you know, for 10-year for leases yeah, 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 yeah. in such an um, a, a important moving market, mm. fast-moving. So we're tending very much, as we're doing with the men's launch, to look at pop-up opportunities. Yeah to test different markets um, and to see the, the appetite and whether we should have a you know, more permanent established retail environment. We're at a funny, funny stage in uh, the luxury industry that uh, uh, people all feel that the, you know, the market's changing, that the, the, the size of the global footprint of square feet of all luxury stores is the growth is slowed down, it's you know, arguably sta static now, and yet nonetheless, the big luxury brands still very clearly believe in their flagship stores and their Maison and their concept stores. And many of them have been very slow to go into digital, the percentage of sales of big you know, French brands, Chanel, Dior, Vuitton, is quite modest. How do you see uh, digital as a, a brand building exercise or a business thing or a bit of both for Mark Cross? I believe a bit of both. Um, I mean, for us, as part of our updated um, strategic roadmap, the whole consumer-centric and, and what we call digital-first mm. initiatives um, has really been key and, and we have executed a lot of it in, in 19. First of all, we have relaunched our website, mm. reformatted it completely, mm. and that is now aligned with the physical um, image and, and concept that we have on Madison Avenue. And I think it's key continuously to develop the key account management we have within the hotel network, but also to have directly operated channels yeah. um, where we offer you know, top-notch customer service mm. to the consumer and also can give them the emotional connection of 
in a physical environment, a physical environment to, to touch and to get acquainted with the brand. Are you working with any of the, you know, the big, obviously, e-tailers, you know, like Farfetch'd, you know, Net-a-Porter, uh, Matches, any, any of them or so far or is that Be to come? Very important as part of our, our partners, yeah. key partners, are the, the yeah. third-party e-commerce partners also, yeah. Have you started or will you start? We have, we have started. Already with some of them? So we had a great exclusive launch with Matches last fall. Oh, okay. With a new um, iconic grey spelt bag that we yeah. launched with them, um, and we worked with most of, of the big guys. We had a, a good initiative uh, with Moda Operandi, and launched a limited edition with the Brock collection. So good. We are working with each one of them and making sure that in parallel with that we also have exciting uh, limited edition and exclusive product ranges within our directly operated okay. network. They're very specifically, you're a little bit like, not imitating, but in the same way of thinking of pop-up opportunities, you're, you're tailoring most of these opportunities with e-tailers to be specific things. I, th I think it's important yeah. to have your, your yeah. core collection yeah. represented with them, but yeah. also to understand how do you work with them to have exciting uh, newness coming um, to to the consumer. Bernard Arnault, who you know, the, 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 I think he was, became the richest man in the world. He's certainly the richest uh, last week. He's certainly the richest in fashion. At the uh, uh, press conference the other night for to release the uh, results of LVMH, he was slightly pouring cold water on the whole idea of the um, internet, saying it's very useful in terms of image. But when he looks at all the e-tailers, they're still losing money and. Uh, he tries to avoid that and they've made very cautious steps. Do you think other luxury brands will, will repeat that? I think what Bernardo specifically was talking yeah. about was, was of course the link with Amazon and how yes. from a counterfeit point of view yeah. um, it, it is very challenging. Um, and, and I think the, the partnerships a brand should have with some of these e-tailers yeah. should be very direct yeah. and, and a true partnership. And if that is built, it can work in, in both ways uh, to, to the benefit of both the brand as well as the e-tailer. But it needs to be managed very carefully. Uh, how do you see the market generally luxury changing over the next 5, 10, 20 years? What, 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 what do you see were the big changes you're expecting? I'm, I'm excited about the, the evolution of the luxury market um, very much because I see with the whole sustainability angle a real urge also for the younger luxury consumer to understand um, where a product mm. is made and how it's made. Mm. And I think the longevity of a true quality luxury product is somehow becoming more and more fashionable. You know, the, the fast fashion phenomenon, um, I question more. Mm. Um, I think uh, there's still obviously a lot of money to be spent, but, mm. but people are spending it much wiser. They are, they are being mm. much better educated and, and with the whole digital era, obviously everything is, is available of information. So I think there's a, a great opportunity for authentic luxury brands that can tell a real story and that has the right quality price ratio in their products. In terms of sustainability of uh, resources, materials, what are you doing at Marcross? 
So it's very important uh, to us, it, you know, in itself, I think uh, the great thing also about luxury products is um, the, the um, lifespan that a, a luxury product has. Uh, we just launched um, at Mark Crowds with the new platform of our website, a vintage platform where we are offering to consumers to buy vintage uh, products of Mark Crowds as well as to sell. Uh, I saw that looking last night. At, so how do you get the products in the first place? So I, I see this as um, a new channel and a new business opportunity for us. And, and here at, at the country to what we just talked about in, from e-tailers, I don't yeah. see a necessity. Necess you know, why should we give that business or all of that business to third-party e-com yeah. uh, partners like yeah. Real Real, etc.? we should be able to do this ourselves. We are the ones who can authenticate mm. products in the best way yeah. and who can um, also put a price tag on it. Um, so the way we do it is go out and, and search ourselves and buy the most interesting products that we believe either has a great value for our archives, mm -hmm. for our design team inspiration, or to be resold to the end consumer. It's a big trend. Beside hotel costs, there's now uh, Western Vintage. It's the you know the, it's a pop-up store, but you know probably the most prestigious shoe brand in France had uh, has opened up a store specifically. To, I mean, it's a pop-up still, but specifically uh, related to that and uh, to the circular economy clearly in action on you know the most prestigious yeah. shopping street or one of them in, in the world. So, so this is one of the initiatives we do to kind of close the ecosystem. Mm. Another thing that we're doing, um, and we have a great collaboration with, is Positive Luxury. So we are working with Positive Luxury, who you may know creates a butterfly mark yes. for um, brands that are uh, sustainably uh, respectable. Yes, good. Um, and we're going through a process with them to make sure that we tick all the boxes um, in terms of, of, of course, manufacturing and supply chain, yeah. but also that we uh, will respect work in an ethical way and, and that that is part of the culture that we are, are developing. Where do you, where, your, your raw materials, your leather, your canvas, those are your, where do they come all, from? All our products are made in Italy. We oh, work okay. with, with some fabulous... Um, very often small family uh, craftsmen in Italy that the brand has been working with for more than 50 years. Oh. So, so at this point, everything is manufactured in Italy. Okay, so it's uh, high quality manufacturing. You have a very, you know exactly where, where it's made. Yeah. Uh, and the raw, where the raw materials come from. Correct. Yeah. Would you start to tag that in the future as part of the, you know... Well, that, that's the second uh, project that we're working on. Okay, so we yeah. are um, a, a pilot brand with a new digital platform called True Twins. So True it's Twins. really a digital twin to your physical product. Oh, wow. So we are testing it at the moment and tagging some of our bags with a device. And you can, with that device, follow the whole ecosystem mm. and the path of a product when it's sold to the end consumer. Mm as well as potentially resold, uh, the new consumer will take over the whole history of the product, including the manufacturing, etc., 
uh, in that device. So it, it gives you, uh, first of all, like a great tool for counterfeiting, um, as well as for the history of the product. Okay, and that would be built into the bag somehow, or into your bags? Or Correct. Interior some way, so it would be... Uh... Or through um, a serial, serial number or, or some kind of identification that is linked to blockchain. Okay, oh, linked to blockchain? Yeah. Oh, so it's then, a blockchain uh, platform that we are using. Ah, okay. So there's a kind of digital code within the product. Though. Correct. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, so we're we're testing different uh, means mm. to to make sure that we are preparing ourselves as as well as possible to be able to. First of all, act in a fully responsible way, mm. and and secondly, to follow the product's mm. path throughout its its ecosystem. Where is your creative team based in New York? Yeah, where in New York? Uh, Upper East. Okay. Uh, our headquarters on on sixty fifth in Lexington. Okay, and uh, you will keep that creativity, you think, based in New York to keep an, an American quotient to the to the brand. I think that's that's important, but equally important is it to work with um, and inviting either artists in residence or designers in, as we're doing for the for the men's launch. So, so we are open to work also with international designers, but great to see that, that people that we're talking to all are so fascinated about the DNA and unique history of, of Mark Cross and tapping into that and looking at how to, to then work with it for the future. Okay, very good. Um, now, uh, finally, I mean, um, we're also trying to uh, address the generation. If, if what would be your advice to anyone thinking of taking a career in, in fashion or luxury uh, management or, or, or some element in the, in the management uh, area of that sector? I think a, a bit as, as we discussed uh, at the beginning is um, if you, especially when you come from the business side and the management part of the side, if, if you are interested in, in pure management but also in connecting with that creative uh, spirit that we find in the, the luxury goods world where constant innovation is necessary, a very deep understanding of the consumer I think that's key to have a, a natural interest for, for that. You know, how is the consumer acting? Uh, what are they looking for? How has the buying pattern of a consumer changed radically over the past five, 10 years? And what will it be in, in the future? If you are interested in these different elements, um, then why not have a great, successful and, and passionate, it's all about passion, isn't it? Career within the, the luxury goods segment. Uh, it's to go back what you said in the beginning. The, um, it's about emotion. It's you know at the end of the day, you know, that's you have to feel that some sort of connection with the with any brand that you either buy or you work in. No, absolutely. There's this connection you have emotionally that is is key to understand your consumer and also to put the the right products out to them. Finally. Define the DNA of this great brand, Mark Cross. American um, heritage with a width of, of lifestyle, so an opportunity to go into many different uh, 
product categories. I think being American sets us apart from, for example, European uh, luxury good brands. Um, and I think in, in our DNA, there's this sophisticated, casual way that Americans has about them in the way they dress, in the way they live, that somehow is very different from um, a sensibility from an Italian or a French or a British um, luxury brand. And, and I think that American casual sophistication is, is very relevant to the world, not only Europeans, but, but also uh, a consumer in Asia. I, I agree with you, but what differentiate the, the American from the European? They're not so casual, it's a little bit too, a little bit more what? I think the Americans somehow are more casual. Yeah. I mean, I always have this yeah. image of J.F. Kennedy yeah. or J.F. Kennedy Jr. who uh, yeah. will be, um, you know, on a, on a boat, um, on, a, on a yacht yeah. with um, white yeah. uh, sailing shoes and then blue socks and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. khaki and, and a, a big oversized sweater. Yeah. There's, there's that casual chicness uh, with a strong quality element that I think the Americans have. Ulrich Gardu, it's been great talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.